Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami, and I'm so glad you've chosen today to tune into our podcast as we look at part two of our series, Rewired Worship, and explore the Lordship of Jesus in worship. I hope this podcast today will really cause you to fall more in love with Jesus, will cause you to have a greater expression in your worship, and will be challenging in every way. But I also want you, as you listen to this podcast, to pay very close attention to the words Jesus and Judas, because I tend to get those words a little mixed up as I'm giving this message, but I believe as you listen, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. I won't take those words out of context. God bless, and I hope you enjoy. We just got back from a conference in Atlanta. It's called Paradigm. The idea behind a paradigm is that you have a total change or shift. And uh, I am not going to lie to you today and tell you that what I'm going to share with you is original to me. I'm going to get this thing situated eventually, but I'm going to share something that I heard that could not be left unshared. Um, I just, I couldn't leave it alone. I, I, you need what I'm about to talk to you about, and I can guarantee you I will not share it as eloquently or as well as was originally given, but I just have got to get this out there. I've got to, I'll get it right, I promise. I'll get it out there. Um, But I think it's incredible that it fits with the theme in which we are. Last week I was challenged to talk to you all about rewiring our idea of what worship is, or at least how we express ourselves in worship. If you didn't watch or hear last week's message, I encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. You can get that at iTunes or at Sermon.net. Listen to that. We talked about just a trained response, our mechanism for worship, that we've got this program within us that might not necessarily be this um, innate, this God-given expression that he's put within us. And then we go to paradigm. I don't think it's by chance that I tapped into an area of worship that I've never experienced in my life. And it it wasn't a feeling. It was beyond a feeling. I think we talk about worship. Worship was so awesome. I had goosebumps and I was emotional and I had joy and I wept before the Lord and I was moved and I think that's good. God created us as emotional beings, but I don't think that that's even the surface of what worship is. So we go and we find ourselves in this theme, unintentional. The Holy Spirit has this way of orchestrating and putting things together, this unintentional at least in man's perspective, but totally intentional. It's <laughs> my word for the day. As we were faced with this concept, you can go ahead and put the first slide up. It's the only slide there is. This, what keeps me from failing? It's a question I want you to ask yourself. What keeps me from failing? And I don't mean 
like a success, like I succeeded in business, I succeeded in life. I mean, what keeps me from failing my walk with God? What keeps me from backsliding? What keeps me from, um, well, let's just put it out there. What keeps me from having a, an affair? What keeps me from losing my salvation? If there are any good Baptists in here, uh, you know, you're taught that once saved, always saved. But what keeps me from turning from God? What keeps me? And I, uh, in youth ministry, we've, we've always, we've been taught, Tim and Kelsey will understand this, that most teenagers, after they leave youth ministry, they leave the church, they leave their faith, they go on to college and they get uh, redoctrinized, so to speak, that God isn't who they grew up to believe in. God isn't the God of their parents. He actually, many of them believe that God actually is just this figment of an imagination that he really isn't. And so in my philosophy in youth ministries, I want these teenagers to come together and have encounters with God that when they go, go off to college, they cannot excuse away the encounters with God, only to find out that kids can have encounters with God, only to find out that they still can turn away from God. We've seen it time and time again in ministry. High-profile ministers have incredible works, signs and wonders following everything that they do in ministry, but yet they fall from grace. They have affairs with their secretaries. They squander their funds that are given to them. They, they misappropriate thing, appropriate things. They do things that are contrary to the word of God, contrary to integrity, contrary to holiness. Some of the greatest ministers out there have addictions to alcohol and pornography and things like that. Many of our believers in the chairs seated in front of us have addictions that they cannot get over. They come to church on Sunday and they worship God with all of their might, yet on Monday find it to struggle. Judges chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 describes a generation. Well, it says in Joshua the son of Nun, sorry there's not going to be any other slides up there. Joshua the son of Nun. A servant of the Lord died at the age of 110. Wow. And they buried him. Now, you've got to realize what Joshua has experienced. Joshua has seen uh, miraculous things. He's seen the parting of the Red Sea. He's seen uh, two parting of seas. He's, he's seen manna. He's seen wandering. He's, he's seen God deliver the, the uh, Israelites. He's seen uh, Moses go up and down the mount nine times and the, the, the exposure on his face to the glory of God. He's seen he, so many things. He's, he's, he's seen the deliverance into the promised land. And so he has seen some great and mighty things in his times. And it says, And they buried him in the boundaries of his inheritance with Timoth Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mouth of Gosh, and the generation, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And listen to this. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So we've got a generation that doesn't know the work. So this was my my whole philosophy is I'm not going to have a generation know the work of the Lord. We're going to make sure that the next generation is raised up experiencing a move of God in their lives so that they can pinpoint and say, that's the day he became real. 
But is it possible to be introduced to the mighty works of God and still fall away? Look at Judas. Moreover than that, look at Lucifer. Heaven's top angel. We get a picture, even though it doesn't clearly or specifically point to Lucifer. We can see in Exodus 28 and also in Isaiah 14, we've got a glimpse of heaven before the fall in a description of possibly what Lucifer might have looked like. We've got this explanation about Lucifer and the Bible describes through nine precious stones that were adorned upon the very being of Lucifer. King James Version of the Bible talks about timbrels and pipes built into his body. Why would he have stones? Glorious, gorgeous, beautiful, amazing, precious, and rare jewels upon him and pipes that are about his body. Well, the man that I heard this message from says this, and it blew my mind. He says, think about the picture of the jewels and the windpipes. It's the wind of heaven that makes your song beautiful, and it's my glory that makes it shine. So you've got Lucifer in the very presence of God, and it's his job to show forth the glory of God and to make sound of the winds of heaven. But yet even he wanted more. And he wanted the glory, but even in his beauty and in his ability to Project the glorious sounds of heaven. It was never his place. Because remember it's the wind of heaven. That makes your song beautiful. And it's my glory that makes it shine. Says God. We read in Revelation 21. And also in Zechariah 6.5. About how heaven is full of light. And the wind of God is constant. But yet, in the midst of the very presence of God, the one that was adorned to project the very beauty of God, he still falls. And we've got Judas. Think about this. Before Acts chapter 2, we all know in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, we've got Acts chapter 1, a description of Judas. And what he has done, the Bible says that he has taken the very payment for the betrayal of Jesus and he's bought a field where he has spilled out his blood upon it. Where he's gone out and he's committed suicide. Where the very bowels of his internal being have been spilled or poured out. Luke 22 verse 3, we see a picture of where Satan has entered Jesus. Now, we've heard stories or we've seen people, I don't know if you've ever experienced somebody that has been demon-possessed. It's horrific. It's hideous. I remember as a teenager, a woman that was demon-possessed and how the demon was strangling her and she nearly died in front of us because she could not breathe. And that demon would speak through her with tones and groans. That I, I got to be very careful with the children back there. You, don't, you all just color back there with groans and sounds that human beings cannot make. And as that demon tormented her, again, she nearly would, died in our very presence from being strangled by that demon. Fortunately, we have authority over those demons. We're able to cast that demon out. 
But those demons are very horrible things. The, the pictures that we've seen, the, 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 the encounters that I've had with the, with the demonic realm are things that would terrify even the strongest of Christians in this room today. But Satan, in, in this picture here, Judas was not possessed by a demon. The very scripture says Satan entered Judas. What on earth would happen? Judas walked with Jesus. Judas talked with Jesus. He dined with Jesus. He saw the miraculous of Jesus. I would even contend that at times he fell at the feet of Jesus and worshipped Him. But he fell. What makes you or I any different or more holy or more righteous or better? What makes us immune to falling away? You see, Judas... Let me just ask this. If somebody is convicted of embezzling funds, they get out of prison... Do you put them in charge of your finances, of your business? Do you, do you allow them to count the church offering to make sure that deposit gets made on, on Monday? No. I mean, I'm sure God's grace, they can, there's, there's redemption and all that, but listen. Do you, okay, would, would we, let's just take it away from that. Let's just simplify it a little bit more. Would we let Evelyn handle the church finances? No. Think about this. Judas was the accountant, the financial person for Jesus' Jesus's, Jesus's, Jesus's funds. So Judas is, in all appearance to everyone else, the trustworthy one of the group. Now we see in John chapter 12, this is when Mary is, has come in, the, 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 uh, the whore, if I can say that, has come in and has anointed Jesus with the, the, the ointment in verse 4 of chapter 12, it says, But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said, not be, uh, and, and said this, Not because he cares about the poor, but because he was a thief. And, he, and, having, charged, and, sorry, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was being put into it. It was subtle. It was there. Listen, Satan didn't enter an innocent man. He did not enter an innocent man. John chapter 6, verse 70, Jesus answered all of them, speaking of the disciples, did I not choose you, the twelve? This is one that Jesus chose. And yet one of you is a devil, lowercase d. Verse, chapter 17 of John, verse 12 says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them is being lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Hmm. Let's look at Judas's thought process for a moment. Matthew 26, 14 through 16. When one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests, he had this premeditated. 
And he said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? Speaking of Jesus. And they said, they will pay him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray them. This is an interesting fact. 30 pieces of silver was the price of a common slave. And again, we know that Satan did not possess an innocent man. Listen, this was not a mistake that Judas made. It was sin. So many times we simplify our sins and call them mistakes. I made a mistake and I got caught. No, we sinned and we opened the door. I don't want to ask us before we even get to the, this is heavy stuff. And I promise this gets good. But before we even try to excuse ourselves away, let's just call sin for what it is. Sin. It's not mistakes. It's sin. Now going on to Matthew 26. Jumping just a few more verses. Verse 17 through 25. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand, and I will keep Passover, and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. While it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, I want to make this clear. I kind of alluded to it earlier about Judas. On the surface, Judas was just like everyone else. John probably looked at Judas and thought, he's my brother. Peter looked at Judas and thought, just like John, you're my brother. Judas wasn't looked at as an evil man. It was subtle. No one looked at Judas and thought, if if any one of us was going to betray Jesus, it would be Judas. No one looks at this room and says, if any one of you is the messed up one, it's Vanessa. No one gets a choice to look in this room and say, it's you. You're the one, Samantha, that's probably the one in this room that's the greatest sinner of all of us. This is the part where I tell you we've got to search our own hearts. And don't you dare think that any one of you is immune, that any one of you is the most righteous or the most holy. I'm going to tell you right now that it very well could be me. It very well could be me that's Judas in this room. And I had to come to terms with that this week. I had to deal with that this week. It very well could be me that's the one that's jacked up in this room. Because I'm not immune to the falling. So truly, truly, Jesus says to them, one of you will betray me. Listen to what they say. This is, this is, the, this is the litmus test. This is how you can figure it all out. They, very, they were all very sorrowful. They all, all of them. Listen. And they began to say to him, one after the other. They began to say this. One said, is it I, Lord? It's very important that we hear that. Is it I, Lord? Looking Jesus in the face. Is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? And he answered, who, who, 
He who dips his hand in the dish will betray me. Now, this is an interesting thing. This is another picture of the subtlety of how sin sneaks into this world. It's the subtlety of how we open up the door for Satan to enter in and to begin to mess with us. (coughs) The person that gets to dip their hand in the dish with the guest of honor is the guest of honor. The person that Jesus is about to point to is the one that is honored in the room as the guest of honor. He's the one that's going to be highlighted in the room as the one that is the meaningful one outside of Jesus in the room. The Son of Man goes on, as is written of him, but woe to the man to whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Here's an opportunity right here. An opportunity, a beautiful opportunity for the one that would betray Jesus to be aware of the error of his ways and change his thought process and be able to look to Jesus and say, it is not I, Lord. But Jesus, who would betray to him, says, is it I, Rabbi? Jesus says to him, You have said so. You see, they look at him and one says, Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Jesus looks at him and says, Is it I, Rabbi? They look at them and say, Is it I, Lord? Is it I, the one whom I serve? Is it the one to whom I love? Is it the one to whom I recognize as the one who would deliver all mankind from our trespasses, our past insecurities, the one who would deliver us into our future? And Judas looks at him and says, Is it I? Great teacher. Revelation 3. 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write. The words of the amen. The faithful and true witness. The beginning of God's creation. I know your works. believe wholeheartedly this is a picture of the church that is possessing the United States right now. It's the church possibly very, very much could be us sitting in this room today. Not pointing fingers at anyone if I'm not pointing fingers at me. The faithful and true witness is the beginning of God's creation. I know your works and you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Listen, that's not hard enough language. I will vomit you. It's a violent dispelling of what's upon me. I cannot handle what's within me because of how you are. For I say, or for you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, though. I love this. I say I've got all this great stuff. But you say of me that I am nothing. I'm poor, wretched, pitiful, blind, and naked. But he has the remedy. He has the remedy. It says, I counsel you to buy from me 
gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. Where does our completion come from? Our Lord, not our rabbi. Our Lord. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. Listen to those words. This is a good thing. Those whom I love, this isn't a moment of despair. This isn't him coming down on us and spanking our butts. This is a warm embrace. This is him coming to us in love. I I said it earlier as we were worshiping, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. This is the love of a father that isn't condemning, but is embracing, that is restoring and not taking away. He says, I reprove and I discipline, so be zealous Be after me. Be alive and alert and go after the things that I have for you with total abandon and repent. Look at verse 20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. At a building in which I cannot possess. At a home in which I cannot enter. I contend to you today that he's standing at the door of the home in which he already has the keys to. He's standing and knocking at a door in which he can open any time he wants. But because of his grace, because of his mercy, and because of his willingness to give you full control of your will and your decisions, he's going to stand at the knock and give you the opportunity to open the door. And this knocking at the door is a door of repentance, not a door of force. A door of force. He says, I will come into him. And he doesn't say, and I will rebuke him. It doesn't say I will cast him out. It doesn't say I will beat you up. It doesn't say I will remind you of every wrongdoing you've ever done. It doesn't say I will continually beat you up. It doesn't say I will continually hound upon you. He says, and I will eat with him. And he with me. I will sup. We will share the finest of fine. We will be at peace. We will find a great encounter of worship. Verse 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father. You see the picture of a father's embrace? Just as I sat with my father, the one who conquers will sit with me. And this pleading here, this is this father's desire right here. He says, he who has an ear. I pray that every one of you in this room has an ear. And this isn't just to go in one ear and out the other. This is a pleading to respond. This is a pleading to allow these words to affect you to a point of change. That you wouldn't just hear a great message and leave the doors having no consequence of change within your life. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
So backing up to Judas, how does someone like this become possessed by Lucifer himself? You see all the other disciples referred to him as Lord. To Judas, Jesus just was teacher. To Judas, Jesus saw some great things. The Bible refers to some people that says, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not heal the sick? Did we not preach who you are? And Jesus looks at them and says, but I did not know you. This isn't a message about salvation. This isn't a message of asking Jesus to come into your heart. The question is, is he teacher? You recognize who he is. But is he Lord? If he's Lord, the revelation of who he is in your life changes dramatically and worship impacts your life completely different. Worship isn't just about what we're doing here. And we're going to worship him as Lord, hopefully, here in just a minute. Maybe we came in here today and we worshiped him with an understanding of who he is. But we didn't worship him for what he is in our lives or how he is in our lives. So I ask this question, is he your Lord? You can ask yourselves these questions. This is kind of how you figure this out. Again, this isn't, there, there are people that have called themselves Christians. I, I had to repent and make him Lord this week. I would, venture, I would say that before this week, there were avenues and aspects of my life that he was teacher in. And I believe that in the coming weeks, there are going to be moments that he reveals things to me where he's not Lord. And I'm going to have to address them and deal with them and repent and put him as in lordship. Put him in his place. What does it look like if Jesus is your rabbi? You look to his works, but don't, you, but don't look for his transformation. Whew. Sit on that for a minute. Go ahead, Tim, if you can go ahead and come up to the guitar. You look to his works, but you don't look to his transformation. We build relationships with people for what they have to offer. This third one, I call it the chameleon effect. We change who we are depending on who we are around. That's, that's the one that I had to, that's the one that got me this week. We change who we are depending on who we are around. I'm sure there are more. Maybe you just take a few minutes. We're going to spend some time worshiping. And man, I found a place this week. I've never worshipped in the fear of the Lord. And it wasn't a, I wasn't afraid of him. I was, it was like I couldn't blink. I couldn't say words. I might have been slightly drunk. It's kind of cool. Let me repeat this list one more time. 
What does it look like for Jesus to be your rabbi? You look to his works, but you don't look to his transformation. We build relationships with people for what they have to offer. We change who we are depending on who we are around. Father God, this morning, I think every one of us could probably find some element, something that we need to repent for. There's something in our lives that we could easily say that, God, you're not Lord over. Lord, I believe when we get a handle of making you Lord of our lives and circumstances every day, when we are easily and quick to repent, Lord, we'll find ourselves in a situation where we could say that we won't, we won't fall away. We won't open the door for Lucifer, for Satan to enter in. We'll be able to make it to the end. We enter into your presence and we hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord, I know this isn't a message on works. This isn't about what I do. This is a message on surrender to the lordship of our king. Lord, we're all sitting in this room today understanding that, God, you are a king. And if you have a king, if you are our king, you have a kingdom. And if there's a kingdom, then there must be a culture. Lord, I want to be of that culture. But Lord, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of treason. I'm guilty of trying to push you off the throne and to sit on that throne. Lord, today, God, I, we choose to vacate that throne so that you can sit back on the throne. I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, wlmiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. Click on the Give tab, and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you, and until next time.